So we're in 1 John 3, verse 18 through 24, through the end. So why don't I, I'll open this up with a quick word of prayer, and let's keep going here. Father, we thank you for this morning, this opportunity to gather together in your word. Thank you for giving us your word. And I just pray that this morning we would enjoy it, and we would learn, we would be transformed more into the likeness of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. So, uh, who would like to read? Uh, uh, it's First John 3, 18 through 24, if someone wants to just go ahead and tackle that whole section. But indeed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are we are the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do not and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Okay, thanks. Um, so... So in this section, this, this is one that was, <clears throat> at first, when I first read through it and stuff like that, it sort of, it, it seems to go in so many directions and cover so many things, it's hard to um, find an overall theme. But as, as I studied and, you know, uh, read, read up on it, it there seems to be one, and it's, it, I think the theme is um, sort of uh, reassurance uh, reassuring our heart, you know, when, in times of uh, self-condemnation. <laughs> There's Henry. Um, but, so what do we hear in the world as far as your heart, you know? What, what's the world say about our heart? Follow your heart, yeah. That's, that's the theme of the world. And I, I don't know if it's always been that way, but that sure is now. Um, is that a good idea? <laughs> Can you back in the right place, probably? Yeah. But most of the time. Yeah. So, someone turn to Jeremiah 17, 9, and 10. And not only turn there, but read it for us. <laughs> Jeremiah 17, 9, and 10. 
Yeah, so, um, yeah, so the heart, yeah, so we can't trust our heart because, because it's deceitful. Um, now, you know, I think the heart, another, the way it's used to your heart or, or conscience, I mean, is that, is conscience a good thing? I would agree with that. That conscience is given. I mean, it 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 serves a purpose, but it's corrupted by sin. And so, um, so, so our conscience, if you know, if um, if responded to properly, um, it's a good thing, but it's deceitful. So that, in and of itself, can't that can't be our guide, and. it lies to us. On the one hand, it minimizes the sinfulness of something, tells us it's okay when it's not. But on the other hand, for us as believers, it can condemn. It, we can go into this mode of self-condemnation. So, um, and that's sort of what I think. That's what we're dealing with a little bit more. Uh, on this side, because throughout First John, you know, we've already looked at, you know, um, the idea of, uh, you know, lying to ourselves, saying that if we don't have sin, um, and so this sort of dealing with the other side of things, the more the self condemnation. So, as his children, we as we've discovered, uh, being his children, we're led to obey. Um, and but um, I'm looking back this the section that we just, that led into this um, we're led to obey but then um, we can sometimes uh be discouraged because we fall short in so many ways. You know, some of the language the first John uses, you know, if we're, um, if we're, we, you know, we, we're uh, confirmed, what confirms that we're children of God is, is our obedience and stuff like that. Well, we all fall short in that. So it's so easy then to just, uh, 
be discouraged and, you know, sort of fall into the self-condemnation. So this is, section is a little bit just sort of the prescription for dealing with that. And so we start out in uh, 18, verse 18 and 19. So it's, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed or truth. And um, something reading I did, so it talks about this as being a hinge verse, which I sort of a cool expression because it does sort of it sort it sort of ties. It it looks back at what was just said, and then it looks forward to what's going to be said. So, but the thing that connects this the sections is the concept of love, but. Um, We're to love not in word or truth, or I'm sorry, word or talk, but in deed or truth. The section that we that just preceded this talked about um, loving in deed, that um, to the point, you know, that this is love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Um, if anyone has has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes heart against, against him. How does God's love abide in him? So love without works is dead. And so... Um, Sometimes you might want to define that word love. Because if you mention the word love to anybody, mm -hmm. what do they think of? Hugs, kisses, and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, well that... Where I think the meaning here is more concern for the other guy. In other words, yeah. it's to his benefit. Or if you got, you know, something to help him out or... Exactly. Well, yeah. Versus the hugs and kisses. Yeah, great, great segue. Because uh, the other part of it, loving indeed, but also, but loving in truth. So... Um, yeah, and so that's the question, what, what kind of love? So what kind of love did Jesus, because it says Jesus is the example and we're to love like Jesus, so how did Jesus love? Sacrificially. Yeah, <laughs> sacrificially. Um, he was a servant. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and so true love is sacrificial true love involves service and so so a test is of are we are we loving um, our brothers and sisters are we loving others is are we serving if there's no serving in there, then that's not the love that, that Scripture talks about. That's not true love. That's not love in, in truth. And that might be public, um, might be, you know, newsworthy. But more, more often than not, our service is private, um, maybe unnoticed by others. Um, but oftentimes it's 
our service as humbling. It's, it's humili- humiliating even. And I was, as I was thinking about some of this, I thought, you know, that might almost be a test, you know, when we, when we ask ourselves, am I, am I loving others? Is, am I willing to be humiliated in, how, in my love for others? Am I willing to <clears throat> do things that are considered, you know, uh, I don't know. Sacrificial. Yeah, sacrificial, but things that, um, you know, that are, the many people would say, well, that's, that's beneath, or, you know, that's beneath them. Or, uh, yeah. Perfect example. Yeah. So, yeah. In fact, Jesus said that we are. He said that we. Um, that's how we ought to be: is to wash one another's feet. So. Speaking of that, um, yeah. Here's a little quote in here. It says, in some ways we would prefer to hear Jesus call to deny father and mother, house, houses, land, for the sake of the gospel, than his word to wash feet. Radical self-denial gives the feeling of adventure, but in service we much experience the many little deaths of going beyond ourselves. Service banishes us to mundane the ordinary and the trivial. Um, so yeah, so it's you know it's the yeah it's the mundane it's the the little things that oftentimes um, are the real service. And so um, for those of us who can sometimes be discouraged when you know look at ourselves, man, I, you know, am I really serving? You know, what am I doing? It's, there, there's a, you know, there's a thousand little things that we might be doing that we ought to be doing for, you know, acts of love, acts of service for one another that are really, those are the meat and potatoes of, of, um, serve, you know, of the serving of the love that's going on within the church. Um, so, 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 by this, so verse 19, by this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. So, this is how we know we are of him, is if we're loving. Now, if we, you know, if, if we don't, if we feel like we're just really falling short um, in that, is if our desire is to love, then um, I guess a lot of times, if I'm in this sort of this mode of self-condemnation, if I feel like oh, I'm not really loving, the, the question to ask, do I have this desire? Do I have this desire to love others? And that desire uh, doesn't come from ourselves. 
that desire in and of itself comes from God. So that in and of itself is encouraging. Um, but verse 20, um, I love one of, one of the phrases in here is awesome because speaking, so whenever we sort of are in this self-condemnation kind of mode, um, reading verse 26, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. That little phrase right there is, is such encouragement. God is greater than our heart. And I, in the past, I've always thought of that as um, God sort of overcoming my, um, you know, my, my sinful impulses, where my heart would lead me. But seeing this within this sort of context of this reassurance, reassurance as his children um, in the midst of our failures, it's, I see that as much as much bigger or much more reassuring that says whenever our heart condemns us God is greater than our heart God is greater than our um, self-condemnation um, has any has anyone heard the, the term self-atonement um, yeah some uh, someone described this to me and it's like uh, it, it really made a lot of sense that we as Christians can um, yeah, fall into this sort of uh, mode or even a habit of self-atonement so that every time I fail, every time I fall short, I, even as I, as I go to God in repentance and stuff, um, my thoughts are, well, I need to, how I go to God is important. I need to, um, you know, really grovel before him and stuff like that and it, and it can become sort of a works in and of itself so that my act of going to God is I'm, I'm atoning for my own sins in a way and it's a little subtle thing but but it makes sense and I, I, I can see where I fall into that sometimes and, and so rather than humbly going to God and re resting upon the atoning work of Christ. It's, it becomes the, the exercise of going to him is like this self-atoning act. So what are you talking about? Self-punishment? Well, it's... Because like the Muslims have the thing, you can deal with whip out, whip out my yeah. bodies. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's more subtle than that. I mean, in a sense, it sort of works, but it's just where the, where the act of repentance can, can become the, the thing that is um, sort of the redeeming thing rather than... I mean, it's very subtle, but it's... In other words, punishing yourself versus trusting Christ's subtle. Yeah, yeah, it's, or, or just, you know, whipping up enough, um, I don't know, humility, enough, well, it's, no, it's sort of whipping up enough self, self-loathing in a way that it's, um, that it's like, okay, I, you know, it's like, okay. Did you say, like, in comparison to the Scarlet Letter thing, 
the uh, feeling more bad about my sin than good about his forgiveness? Kind of yeah. Like making it more about myself and how I think about it and go about it. Here's, here, here's how, I, I think here's how I, I have experienced it. You know, I've, sometimes I've like thought through this as I'm going through the process. But it's like, okay, I sin, so I, I rest on like first, first John 1 John 1.9. It's like, um, so I go to God and um, but I'm, it's like, okay, Am I, am I sorry enough for my sin now? And it's like, am I, um, am I ready? You know, I don't feel like I'm there yet. So I, I think I need to be a little more sorry for my sin until I'm, you know. Is it like, oh, okay. Because part of me thought you were talking about maybe like, maybe like when Christ talks about the Pharisees making funny faces when they're fasting, but it's like an emotional version. Only, but you're the only audience member to it. Like, yeah. Oh, do I feel bad about yeah. So, like, you know, if we confess our sins, so I go, I go to God and confess my sins, but it's like, okay, I really, I don't feel like I'm ready to, um, I'm not worthy to, you know, go and um, teach Sunday school. All right? I don't feel like I'm worthy yet, so I need to be a little more sorry. I need to. You know, and but I think First John one nine says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous. For so it's like right then, confessing our sins, it's settled. You know, I mean, it was settled at the cross, but but right there, I've confessed that sin, and I am in full fellowship with God, and um, my feelings are not the are not. To determine the t- determinant. Because the way you were describing the self-atonement is kind of like me with a little bit of lack of the truth. The truth is more about myself and what I feel yeah. myself, as opposed to just deeper truth. Yeah, and it, I think within so within this section, there, there's a sort of like a reorientation. Um, it's easy for us to reorient to orient our hearts away from what is the truth, what is the truth of the gospel, which is that our sins have been, the punishment for our sins have been paid and um, our fellowship with God is simply if we confess our sins, the fellowship is restored. And so how we're feeling about it um, is not what determines that. It's the truth of what Christ has done that determines it. And so that's, I think, a lot of what's, um, of what this whole passage is, is saying, is pointing to, is that this reorienting our hearts around what is the truth and not what our feelings are, not what our heart is telling us um, for that moment. And so, I mean, so there's three three questions. I think this has come up before in this section, but you know we can ask ourselves three questions: um, Do I rightly do I believe rightly about Jesus, or you know at least am I seeking to un- understand? But do I understand what you know as far as 
his propitiation for our sins. Am I obeying, or at least am I seeking to obey? And do I love others? Or am I at least trying to love others? Am I, you know? Um, and, you know, if we ask ourselves those questions, and if, if yes, then, um, like Romans 8.1 is, there is no condemnation. There is, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Um, is that a conditional statement? <laughs> if, we, if we know, if we understand that we are in Christ, um, then that, that's unconditional. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Um, so, self-contemplation, self-examination, that, that's fine. But <clears throat> um, self-atonement <laughs> is not, you know, we, we don't, there's nothing more we have to do. There's nothing, we don't have to feel more sorry for our sin than... Um, that, come, that comes naturally. As his children, we will feel sorry. Not, not all the time, you know, diff, different degrees at different times, but, but that's not the act, that's not in any way an act that um, restores our, our fellowship with God. Um, God, and once again, God is greater than our heart, which that's just an amazing statement. So, um, so there is a logical flow in here, and it's sort of like, do you, so do you love or seek to love others like Christ? Well, not perfectly, but don't despair. Trust God and not your heart. And then, if, so if we can be confident of this, then we can be confident when we pray. And so that sort of leads into this next section. Um, so we can be confident that God answers our prayers. Um, and so he continues, Beloved, um, which is a... He interjects that, I think, because in this section, it's, there's sort of a, um, there's a compassion that he's um, um, interjecting within this, you know. Um, so, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what he pleases. Um, so again, there's this, um, this shifting confidence, not confidence within our, our heart, within ourselves, in our experience, but confidence in God. Because God is greater than our heart. And so, so if we have this confidence then, We can approach God boldly in 
as we come to him in prayer um, is that um, is that an arrogant <laughs> is that arrogant to go to God boldly in one way I mean it sort of seems that like you say it that way well, go to back when you was a little boy, you were naughty. Did you want to be around mom and dad? Maybe warm your bottom? Or did you want to sort of be a little scarce? It's <laughs> a matter of words. Yeah. But if you were good, you didn't mind being near your parents, but if you were naughty, you sort of wanted to avoid them a little bit. But we're but we're naughty. So how can we go to God? And, I mean, this is sort of this is sort of saying the opposite. It's sort of this case, and I don't want to sitting at. In fact, uh, that's part of the no God movement. Hey, I want you. You think, hey, God knows all. If I'm being naughty, I don't want nobody looking. Were you naughty when Dad was around, or were you naughty when Dad wasn't around? Yeah. Same thing. See, in other words, you want us. So that's why they more or less the evolution and all that is wish you got away. Nobody sees I'm naughty or doing whatever. And of course, you know, the biblical Christians don't approve of this or that what I'm doing. But hey. Yeah. There's no God, so why worry about it? Yeah. That's in the case if the child is often naughty and the parents are totally forgiving. <laughs> <laughs> what made me think uh, when you said that is that when, when Esther went to the king and she boldly went before the king, even though she knew that mm -hmm. it could be her life, Mm -hmm. or death because you're not supposed to approach the king without being called upon but in this sense God says we can boldly come to him mm -hmm. you know and, and confess our sins to him or what you know we can just come to him and boldly ask him yeah. and speak to him because her faith wasn't in her, her confidence wasn't in herself. Her confidence was in God that she could go boldly before Him. I think arrogance in this way too stems back to the idea of self-atonement. So, what is your intention in boldly approaching God? Because if you're, if you are just, okay, God's going to forgive me, so God, please forgive me. Yeah, and you really aren't sincere yeah. about what you've done. Then that's arrogant for sure. Yeah. yeah. But if you go to him equally as bold, but you are sincere, you truly are upset that you committed a sin and you really do seek his forgiveness, then I wouldn't say it's arrogant. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, he commands us to do that. I, I think of the, in the Lord's Prayer it says there's forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I, I've often thought if that one little section wasn't in there, as we forgive our debtors, that would be like, how, how arrogant are we to come, go to God and say, forgive us our debts? That little phrase in there is crucial to, in the Lord's Prayer because when we go to God and say, forgive us our debts, if we're not going in the, in the, with the right heart that we forgive others, 
that would be the most arrogant thing in the in the universe. Um, but yeah, going to God in in humility, He command He tells us to do that. He invites us to do that, and in fact, He says we can approach Him because we're His we're His children. We're joint heirs with Christ. So we have, I mean, think of this. We have as, as his children who have been redeemed, we have, we have full rights, full privilege to go to God. Um, as much privilege as Jesus to go to his Father. That's like, wow. Um, you know, and I mean that in and of, of itself is is humbling. So just the just going to God with that boldness is in and in and of itself is a humbling thing. Well, in fact, you're saying, "Hey, I screwed up by doing this or that sin or whatever." Yeah. Um, it's like too the God. Well, that goes along with what Bethany was saying is. When the master forgives, or I think that's what it is, when the guy that has people that owe him money and he forgives their debts, and then one of the servants has somebody else that owes him, yeah. but he's not willing to forgive him, then the master gets really upset and says, how is it that you came to me and asked me to forgive your debt, but you were unwilling to forgive somebody who owed you less than what you owe me, you know? Yeah. And so I do remember when thinking about that, the prayer, the Lord's prayer is that, like you said, that's the biggest thing, is that if you're unwilling to forgive somebody else, how can you go before Christ and ask for forgiveness? Because, you know, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. So, are you, that's so cool. Are you saying through that parable, connecting to this passage, he's kind of like saying, you had confidence before me? Like, that was trash compared to me. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. So, so in this, so our, if, if our heart cannot condemn us, God is greater than our heart. And so we now have, because we're not condemned, we have this confidence to go before God and whatever we ask, we will receive from him because, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So as we've seen earlier, this sort of loop, is that what, what it was called? This yeah. kind of loop, the... The no love of it. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that's what we're seeing in, in effect here. It's like, now how does that work? If we go before God, whatever, whatever we ask, we receive of him. How does that work? I mean, does that mean I, I ask for a Ferrari? I'm going to get a Ferrari. <laughs> Yeah. Because he made us and he should 
as creator, he knows all about us, so he should know what's best for us. Right. But uh, we don't always listen. Yeah. So, but if we are, um, uh, so if, because yeah, I mean some some of the some of the logic will flow in in First John. It's sort of like a reverse kind of thing. So it says we ask, uh, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Okay. So it's almost like a okay. yeah yeah right. So yeah. So. If we're if we're doing that, then we're going to be asking what is in His will, and so that's what's going to be um, the desires of our heart are going to be in line with His will. Which one of one of the Friday night things we were we were discussing, and I can't remember exactly, but it was like aligning um, aligning our will with God. That's sort of like what. We were talking about Christian growth, and uh, I can't remember exactly what context, but but as we grow, we align our will with God, or well, we do. Our our will becomes aligned with God, and as we're more and more mature, that's we're desiring the same thing that God desires for us. Um, that's real maturity. So our prayers, we're going to experience our prayer being answered. You know, we're going to see it more and more because, um, so. Um, That's a really good first first job we're going to do. You need to remember that whenever you're having that discussion with somebody, you're like, you can pray for whatever you want, right? Like, well, this one person yeah. really succinct. Let me show you. <laughs> nope. Well, if you want to think about an example, think of when you, t- especially small kids, and you're in a grocery store. They want all those goodies. And especially at the checkout line, man, they're Dad, I want this. Dad, I want that. That's why they're there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, they ain't best for them, but hey, it looks good. So there, there's a Spurgeon quote in here, so I'm going to read it. Um, <laughs> it says, if our heart condemns us not, wait. If our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. He who has a clear conscience comes to God with confidence. And that confidence of faith ensures to him the answer of his prayer. Childlike confidence makes us pray as none else can. It makes a man pray for great things, which he would never have asked for if he had not learned this confidence. And makes him pray for little things, which a great many are afraid to ask for, because they have not yet felt toward God the confidence of children. The man of obedience is a man whom God will hear, because his obedient heart leads him to pray humbly and with submission, for he feels it to be his highest desire that the Lord's will be done. Hence, it is that the man or obedient heart prays like an oracle, his prayers are prophecies. Is he not one with God? Does he, doth, doth he not desire and ask for exactly what God intends? How can a prayer 
shot from such a bow ever fail to reach its target? Yeah. Only Charles Spurgeon can say it that way. So, yeah. So, um, so people, I, I, was, I, I don't know, I always chuckle a little bit at this, the power of prayer. You know, people talk, oh, the power of prayer. Prayer is powerful. Well, no, really, God is powerful. And prayer prayed in the right way, you know, from a position of obedience and humility um, will be in God's will and the answer, you know, he answers that. So it's because God, because God is greater than our heart. <laughs> I keep going back to that. <clears throat> so verse, verses 23 and 24. Um, the reading I was doing, it said, this is like a great summary of the whole Bible. And I, and I thought, oh yeah, it sort of is. So I'm gonna read it. And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Um, <clears throat> So one thing, so I sort of broke this down into, this tells us the what, the how, and the who. Um, the who is, we see all three persons of the Trinity in this working together, which is really cool. Um, <clears throat> and so we see, you know, the Father, the Son, and then introducing the spirit um, as integral to um, this one uh, term that we've been, that has popped up a number of times, which is abiding. So we'll look at that in a, in a second. But <clears throat> this is, uh, and this is the commandment. So what is the commandment? And that, it sort of breaks it down into two things. There's sort of a, like there's a doctrinal test and a moral test. This is the commandment, that we believe in the name of, this, of his son, Jesus Christ. And then a moral component, and that we love one another just as he commanded. So believe in the name of the son, Jesus Christ. So what does that mean, believe in the name? Believe in the name? I, yeah, I, I know his name. That he is the Messiah. Yes. All his names. Yeah, that's, that's true. There's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of his name. That's who he is. Yeah, name is more than just a, a handle. It's, yeah, it's um, believe in all that who he is and what he said. He's done everything. Yeah. Uh, we're trusting him for our salvation and trusting that he can deliver on that promise. Yeah. And the name Jesus is what? Was Jesus in the Hebrew? Yeshua, Joshua. I guess the meaning of Christ is the anointed one. Yeah. 
Jesus is, is Yahweh saves. Yeah. So his name, Jesus, is, yeah, identifies him as Savior. Um, <clears throat> then, uh, then also, you know, the, cam- the commandment, we believe who Jesus is, but part of the commandment, there's implied is the obedience that we obey, obey his commandments, what it's talking about. But then, once again, that we love one another. So, <clears throat> faith and love, and it's like someone, I think it was uh, Warren Wearsby, the Back to the Bible guy, that says, faith towards God and love towards man sum up a Christian's obligation. So, which is, I think, probably true. <laughs> but, yeah, so, f- <clears throat> so part, you know, wrapped up in all this, we, yeah, we need to believe who uh, Jesus is. There's a W in that also. Okay. Name. His son. It's doubly important to say, okay, believe in the name of his son. That's God's son. Yeah. If you believe in the name, what he's done, who he is, what he means to you, what he means to everyone else, his son. It, it mm-hmm. goes even further. It, yeah. Uh, in principle. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's been. Well, if you look at John 14, 6. Jesus is the access road to God. I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but through my name. And so, and so, in, in verse twenty-four, then sort of brings us back around. So, which a subject that we've touched on a number of times. Um, already in first John, but so the how. So how do we do, how do we do this? And we get back to this concept of abiding, abiding in him. But there's a little new wrinkle in this now. Wrinkle, wrinkle's not the right word. It's uh, a new fullness, a new, sort of tells us, you know, how this works. And it's the introduction of the Holy Spirit in this this um, this activity of abiding um, says whoever keeps his commandment abides in God and God in him and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us so again abide is uh, this is interesting it's like of all the times that uh, this word abimeno is the Greek um, in the New Testament, it's 102 times, 54 times uh, in John, John's writing. So John, it's a favorite of, of John's. Um, but again, abiding is remain, dwelling, um, staying in. Um, and we've seen where that, it's, it's sort of connected, uh, connected to the idea of uh, Jesus being the vine and we're the branches. Um, so it's, uh, but here we says like, how can we do that? Well, it's through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the integral um, person of, of the Godhead that equips us, that enables us to do this. Um, and there's also, 
we abide in God, but God abides in us. So there's this sort of a... Well, I think that's an implication of us. We're body, soul, and spirit. Yeah. And it says the Holy Spirit communes with our spirit. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's what that spirit thing is about. Yeah. In other words, Holy Spirit communing with our spirit, which, and then it's communing with the soul and the, and the soul, the body, the, because, you know, the inner man is. Yeah, yeah. What we see here. So here's what John Stott says, says about this. The spirit whose presence is the test of Christ living in us manifests himself objectively in our life and conduct. It is he who inspires us to confess Jesus as the Christ come in the flesh, as John immediately proceeds to show. It is also he who empowers us to live righteously and to love our brothers and sisters. So if we would set our hearts at rest when they accuse and condemn us, we must look for evidence of the Spirit's working, and particularly when he is enabling us to believe in Christ, to obey God's commandments, and to love our brothers. For the condition of Christ dwelling in us and of our dwelling in him, abiding, is this comprehensive obedience and the evidence of the indwelling is the gift of the Spirit. So it all, you know, it all works together like, you know, it, it's in many ways a mystery, but um, but the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit active within us, which I know I probably way too rarely uh, consider the work of the Spirit, you know, the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, so, sort of to sum this up, but sort of working backwards in this whole flow, it's we abide and he abides in us and in that we're able to keep his commandments. So, we keep his commandments, we love others, with, with the same love that Christ loved. And when, in loving others, we are, we are reassured that we do, in fact, abide in him and he abides in us. So this, again, this sort of circular kind of thing. It's only possible because of the Holy Spirit within us. Um, that's the only way we can obey. That's the only way we can love others with a Christ-like love.